You're listening to The Currency Welcome. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm thrilled to have you along as always. Welcome, welcome. I am a brand and marketing strategist. I have a friend with me on the show today. He's also a brand strategist. His name is Glenn Clark, and he's the founder of Crafting a Brand. They're a branding and creative services consultancy in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. They help craft beverage producers think beyond the beverage and build long-lasting brand strategies to differentiate their products in a crowded and competitive marketplace. I'm really thrilled to have Glenn on today to talk a little bit about the craft brewing industry and branding and marketing in general. So, so Glenn, welcome to The Currency. Mike, thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for taking the time. Yeah, I, happy uh, Friday. Yeah, happy Friday, exactly. Now, we have kind of known each other online. We've never met face-to-face. We live in the same town. We've traveled in the same circles. I almost said circuses, which would probably also be accurate. Uh, (laughs) Both running agencies, creative guys, working in the marketing field. So it's a thrill to talk to you, but I feel like it's a crime that we have not met face-to-face. How can that be? I have no idea. That's not right. I mean, it's not like we're in New York City. I mean, you could have an, an excuse, at least in a city of multiple millions of people, but uh, you would think in Rochester. Now, we've crossed paths a lot. I see you on social media. We communicate back and forth digitally. But, and You know, uh, we're, we're just so busy servicing our clients, Mike. That it's it's hard being this successful, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we've already agreed that we're going to fix that. We're going to get beers after this podcast. Not Amen. today, but... Soon. Yeah, soon. soon. I think that's that's absolutely going to happen, God willing. So, Glenn, tell us a little bit about your business, Crafting a Brand. And the reason I kind of was talking when we've known each other, you had a different agency for a while. Uh, you've reformulated what you're doing. You, in, you've dialed in even more. And I'd love to hear the story behind Crafting a Brand. What is it and what do you do? Yeah, so, uh, so Mike, I spent my career at ad agencies. I started in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, moved to Syracuse, worked at Eric Moen Associates in Syracuse for a bunch of years. And then I moved to Rochester and worked for Sharon Napier at Partners in Napier. And uh, the last couple of years, uh, this was in the early 2000s, uh, 2002, 2003, uh, I helped uh, launch a design studio called Vine Design at Partners in Napier. Oh, yeah, I know Vine. Yep, yep. And they're still cranking and they're they're doing fantastic things to this day i mean that's almost gosh 16 17 years later um and we worked exclusively on uh packaging and point of sale uh and advertising for constellation brands so at the time we worked on i don't know 30 or 40 brands both east coast and west coast brands for constellation uh constellation uh wines in particular so here, let me just jump in. Here's the here's the true, this is the heartbreak, Glenn. So when I ran my firm, Bob Wright Creative, we did a lot of illustration work for Vine. We worked with folks like Jen Rampey and some other names sure. you would recognize. Yeah. Yeah. And we did a lot of the illustrations for those point of purchase displays, like the Ravenwood pickup truck. We, you know, one of my illustrators would create that art and uh, yeah. we did a lot of work for those guys over the years. So again, we've traveled so close to each other and never... <laughs> We have to have that beer, but anyway, that's that. We'll take that off the pod here. But right. uh, go ahead. So, so you helped launch Vine. So I helped launch Vine. Uh, there were four or five when when we started. There were probably a dozen when we left. I think now they have, my gosh, twenty thirty people over there. So cheers to them. Uh, anyhow, uh, I launched that. I I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. So my dad 
Uh, my dad was in sales his whole life. I have three siblings. They all owned their own businesses. I was the last one. I was the only one that had a job. <laughs> and I had a desire and I had the confidence that I could run my own business. I just needed to take that leap. And so uh, back in 2003, on, on really very short notice, uh, not a, I can't say that there was a whole lot of planning, I left Fine Design and started my own business. Wow. And it was called Clark CSM Marketing Communications. And the CSM stood for Creative Strategy and Media. Those were the three services that we offered. And uh, I ran Clark CSM for 15 years and uh, was always busy. I always had work. There were always new things coming in the door. Uh, had a small team of employees, five, six, seven employees at one time. And uh, I got to a point a couple of years ago when I realized I was busy all the time, Mike. I was busy all the time, but I wasn't getting anywhere. And what do you mean by getting anywhere? So there was always work to do. There was always enough revenue coming in to make payroll and pay the bills. But I worked with so many different kinds of businesses. I worked in higher ed. I worked with, I had a couple of banks for clients. Uh, I worked in uh, and still do a lot of work in tourism, New York State tourism industry. Sure. Uh, had some craft beverage work. Uh, but you name it, I was doing it. When you do that long enough, I think that works against you. When you don't have any specialty, when you don't have a niche, when clients don't know what to think about you except for the fact that, man, they do really good work, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Doing really good work only gets you so far. And I decided that I needed to specialize in something and not work with everyone. So the two the, the, the two um, the two things that I love the two businesses that I love to work in most number one was tourism. Uh, I started my business when I first started Clark CSM back in two thousand three. Uh, I had to go out and get new business, and I I thought you know instead of you know looking around Rochester and you know working my current network where everybody else is looking for new business. Sure. You know, all of my competition is there. What's happening down in the Finger Lakes? So I got in my car one day, literally went door to door, introduced myself. Uh, had my, at the time, this is right there, pre-iPad, had my hard copy portfolio with me and literally <laughs> went door to door, introduced myself to people. And at the time, there was a place, uh, it's actually uh, called the Esperanza Mansion. I don't know if you've been there. It's the Esperanza. Yep. yep. Esperanza. Yep. Beautiful place. Uh, it was actually, it's been closed for the last number of years. It's actually uh, somebody locally here in, uh, uh, actually here in Menden down the street uh, has purchased it and they're going to reopen it. But anyhow, uh, at the time, uh, David and Lisa Wegman, not related to the Wegman family, owned the Esperanza 
we met, we had lunch, they looked at my work and they said, you know, this is, um, we need this, we need help with marketing, we need help with advertising. And so that was my, one of my very first tourism clients. I got on board with them. I worked with them for five or six years. Yeah. Through them and through that network and through, you know, buying advertising and, and using suppliers throughout the Finger Lakes and, you know, having to connect with that network, I met everybody in, in the Finger Lakes. I met many people in the Finger Lakes tourism industry. And eventually, if you work in tourism long enough, you begin to build a, a network with I Love sure. New York, which is Empire State sure. Development. Let me jump in, too, um, just for the yeah. for the listeners. I have listeners all over the country and actually all over the world. So when we talk about the Finger Lakes, that's a region in New York State. If you were to look at yeah. the map, you'll see a handful of lakes. They look like fingers. They're kind of in central, south-central New York, the actual state. And, Glenn, describe it a little bit for folks that have never been there or been exposed. What, what, what's the draw to the Finger Lakes? Why yeah, is it so tourism? Finger Lakes is a, so the Finger Lakes is a beautiful, beautiful region uh, right in – kind of the middle of, of uh, New York State, um, with 11 lakes. They're called Finger Lakes because they run north to south. So if you look at them on a map or if you look at, look at them on, on satellite, it's 11 lakes that run north to south. They're uh, the largest ones are 25 miles long or so, and, and they're only two or three miles wide. Um, because of the geography, it lends itself to growing grapes and so in the 19 set in the late 1960s 1970s uh some of the finger lakes wine pioneers started growing vineyards and um it became very well known as a wine region and and now now it's uh, i believe it's the fourth largest wine region in the united states uh, famous for its riesling a sweet white wine that originally came out of of germany uh, but it's uh, it's a uh, it's a tourism region. Region people come to visit the wineries. Uh, now they come to visit the craft breweries. There are craft brewers everywhere in the Finger Lakes. Uh, villages, towns, small cities. Uh, Rochester, that, yeah, yeah, Rochester. Rochester's is in the Finger Lakes region. Uh, Ithaca and Cornell University is in the Finger Lakes region. Syracuse, New York is on the eastern edge of the Finger Lakes region. But it's uh, it's just a beautiful, uh, yeah. unique region. I mean, when you spend time there, you, um, I don't know, you get a feeling that there's really nowhere else like that. You know, yeah. it's uh, it's a very special place. Beautiful rolling hills, forest yeah. trees, wineries, yeah. great food, beautiful yeah, water, beautiful table. There's a food scene. Yeah, yeah a lot of agriculture. Lakes, right? Yeah. Agriculture. Really special. Yeah. I just want to paint lakes. a picture because people listening yeah, might not have point. that context. Yeah, good point. So keep going. Sorry, I interrupted you. Yeah, so you started so, building um, that uh, tourism portfolio and you built a name and a reputation. But this was yeah, with Clark CSM. With Clark CSM. But, oh, and, and, and along the way, I picked up all sorts of other kinds of clients. Uh, eventually got to a point where I was just spread too thin and I was working in, I believed I was working in too many different kinds of industries uh, and I, I didn't have any, um, you know, uh, unique knowledge. Um, so when you commit to a niche, you really learn that niche inside out. And eventually you become recognized in, as an expert in that niche. And that's where you can gain traction. And that's when instead of chasing new business, new business will come to you. 
And so if you market that brand, if you market your business properly and you establish yourself as uh, an expert or a thought leader, um, you know, eventually people will come to you and you're not chasing business so much. That's so smart. You know, I've known a lot of agencies, design shops, creative firms that have wanted to make that shift to say, we really need to find especially a vertical that we can go deep and be the experts in. I find like not many do it successfully, I, I, especially in our town. I think, I think there's a dynamic in Rochester and maybe this is true for other smaller cities, but the market's not big enough to focus only on one thing. You, you then have to go outside our market. And I think also because Kodak was such a big influence, Kodak was always looking for partner firms that could do a little bit of everything. They weren't looking for yeah, specialists. Yeah. And so I feel like a lot of firms like yours and like mine previously kind of came up, your previous firm, uh, just saying, yeah, we can do that. We can do logos and websites and brochures and packaging. We do a little bit of everything. What do you need? And we'll we'll just do it for you. Yeah. And, you know, uh, and Mike, you've you've witnessed this, I'm sure, uh, over the past decade or so with the the Internet and access to, um, my gosh, there are so many uh, DIY. DIY do-it-yourself websites, uh, you know, oh, yeah. ten dollars buy yeah. a logo template, uh, and it's actually your work. It's actually good work. I'm mean, not that not to say that oh, a custom it's, it's site great. couldn't be yeah. better, but it's it's not like old clip art that really looks no, bad. not at all. Yeah, not at all. Yeah, uh, Fiverr, right? So for uh, uh, for five dollars, according to Fiverr.com, right, you can hire a designer to create something for you. So I, I, I didn't want, I don't, I don't want to compete in that space. I don't want to compete for, um, you know, to do random creative, so to speak. I want to compete in a space where I can have expertise. I can have knowledge, uh, that other creatives and branding firms don't have because they don't work in this space. And I can provide a service. I can provide creative services, uh, branding, I can provide design that is based on a knowledge of the industry, of the consumer. Um, so uh, a couple of years ago, March, uh, uh, a year and a half ago, March, I launched Crafting a Brand. Uh, I retired Clark CSM. It took me about a year uh, to prepare for that. And um, so now Crafting a Brand, all of my uh, the vast majority of my biz dev, uh, I'm looking to beer, wine, spirits, and cider uh, for my business development, uh, for my next client, so to speak. I do have a number of clients from Clark CSM uh, that I still work with and am thrilled to work with. And I'm so fortunate they're, that they're there uh, because crafting a brand is really it started from zero. So uh, thank goodness I have uh, my Clients who have always been there for me are still with me. But going forward now, when I wake up in the morning, I know where I'm going to look for new business. I know who I can help. I know who needs help. Um, I know which conferences I need to go to. Um, it gives you a, uh, a ground. When you have a niche, you're, you're grounded. It, 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 it gives you uh, a focus that, I didn't have when, when I was working with, sure. with anyone and everyone. Well, I think, uh, and this is analogous, hopefully it makes sense, but I, 
like with my kids, you know, your kid's getting ready to go to college. He's like, I don't know what to do. I could do this. I could do that. I'm not sure where to go with my life. And I've tried to explain to them, look, sometimes having too many choices is a problem. And, and, you know, cause they're frustrated. I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like they've got too many options. And I think in, yeah. in, you know, what you're talking about, I'm just resonating with that. Sometimes removing options off the table yeah, you're provides right. a better solution. Yeah. Cause you're like, now I can focus. And when you focus, yeah. you can really do some creative work. I think, um, uh, you know, I think that that energy of getting up and knowing where you've got to look that day and what you have yeah. to do to make that work uh-huh. is really powerful. Yeah, and and where I need to spend my time learning, right? So now I know which podcasts I'm going to listen to. I knew, I know which audio books I'm going to listen to, right? I'm focusing on getting better in craft beverage or in beverage every sure. single day, every day. Now, when you when you wound down uh, Clark CSM. Did you was that a did you shut down a, a corporate entity or is it really a brand is this more of a branding shift or did you close one organization and fire up? No, a I, I I closed it down and, and shut it down with the wow. IRS and and, and started uh, started something brand new. And just out of curiosity, what why did you do that? Because I know a lot of agencies will just kind of rebrand. What 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 was the reason to want to have a fresh start? I wanted to be very. I really committed to this, Mike. I wanted to be very thorough about it. And it wasn't hard. I mean, Clark CSM wasn't a big, you know, large organization. So it was relatively simple to shut that down and uh, start something new. But that was, for me, that was a, um, you know, um, mentally I was all in on it. Yeah. Right. Clark CSM went away. I had people suggest, you know, why don't you run, run them both, you know, keep them both going and, you know, I had no interest in that. I wanted to make a clean break and I wanted to, you know, clear my plate. Ironically, uh, this, this happened by chance. Um, I went to, on so on March 1st, 2017, March 1st, 2018, March 1st, 2018, when I launched it, uh, I knew that would be the launch date probably six months out. Uh, along the way, I signed up for a uh, a beer marketing conference in Vermont uh, that started on March 1st, 2018. So I literally sent out an email at five in the morning, uh, kind of, you know, virtually launched crafting a brand, got in my car, drove to Vermont and spent a week at a beer conference. So I literally, <laughs> by chance, immersed myself in the industry. Yeah. On the day that I launched Crafting a Brand, it was very cool. It How was exciting! Very cool. You know, it and was, I do respect. Was, uh, I respect the shutting down and starting something new. I was just probing a little bit, but I I was wondering, you know, what drove that. But there's something about the brand integrity, too, that like this really isn't just new wallpaper on the same room. That's this right. Is, that's this right. It's a new house. We're building a new house yeah. foundation up, and I see the wisdom in that. And I think mm-hmm. from a branding perspective, that's that's more authentic. It's like, look, this yeah, really is you're right focused. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, Glenn, uh, you spent your first week at this crafting uh, expose or conference in Vermont. Um, You know, and I want to in the second half of the show, we're going to break in a minute here, but we'll get into that, the the whole industry and what that's like. But I have to imagine that there's a lot of people that would love to do what you're doing. I mean, craft brewing isn't just a segment or a vertical in the market. This is something that's got a lot of passion, a lot of soul. People do this as hobbyists. I mean, people are really into this as part of their identity. 
and just yeah. uh, their day-to-day lives. Yeah. This has to be pretty cool to be working in this segment. It's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. It's fun. It's, uh, it, it's very true to me and, and who I am. So, so I grew up in uh, a town called Sequoit, S-A-U-Q-U-O-I-T. It's an Indian name. Sequoit, New York, in, in uh, Oneida County, in the central part of the state. When I was a kid, my part-time jobs were working on farms. We, you know, we were tossing hay bales around. We were milking cows. We were, you know, picking rocks out of the ground and throwing them into a trailer in the springtime. So I have this, uh, uh, this small town family farm. I didn't grow up on a family farm, but that's the community kind of community I grew up in. That was the world I grew up in. Um, craft beverage. That's really what that's all. Craft beverage is an ag business. I mean, it's, it's an agriculture business. Yeah. Sure. For yeah. sure. And, um, you know, it's very true to, to who I am. So, um, you know, and it's it's not just beer either. It's beer, wine, spirits, and cider. And it's even, um, you know, it's, it's even food. It's it's um, to me, craft is is when you um, take the time um, to to make something all your own and to give attention. Sorry about that. It's okay to give attention to every single detail and to, you know, to will something to come to life. That's what craft beverage is. And that's how I approach the work that I do. Um, I just ran um, something on Instagram and in the line of copy I put underneath was something along the lines of, you know, we put a, as much, craft into your brand as you put into your beverage. So um, I believe that I can truly align myself with the mindset of a beer or a wine producer um, because they're just, they're a small family business. It's a small operation and it's somebody who's passionate about what they do and they want to craft something to life. And that's, the same thing that I'm doing on behalf of my clients is taking the time and the focus. And, you know, I care deeply about each and every project and every, every client that I work with. And I think, you know, maybe this is, has something to do with the internet or Amazon or something like that. But I think we spend so much time online and, you know, we buy so much stuff online. We buy so much stuff from Amazon. I think people care now to buy things, especially food or drink. I think they care to spend a little bit more and to know where it came from, yeah. to know that it's, it's um, supporting their community or it's supporting the, you know, the young family across town, you know, who quit their jobs and opened a craft brewery or started a winery. Absolutely. Right? I think people care to do that maybe in a way that, that, that they didn't you know, 30 or 40 years ago. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that we spend so much of our time online and we oh, crave an experience that is, is real and authentic and I can touch it and taste it and smell it. You know, I think that's yeah. where, I think that's why this movement, one of the reasons why this movement has gained so much momentum. Well, I think, I absolutely think you're right. I, I'm brought, brought back to art history class as a, as a young guy 
And I think of the arts and crafts movement. You know, there's this movement back in the, uh, gosh, I want to say early turn of the century, maybe early 20s, I'm guessing, 1920s. Uh, but it was really a reaction against the mass production of, of products. Yeah. And you mm-hmm. see this whole explosion of arts and crafts. I know uh, East Aurora, down where Fisher Price is, south sure. of Buffalo. They had the Roy Crofters movement. But, mm-hmm. but I think it was a similar reaction that society was becoming mechanized and industrialized and depersonalized way back when. And the arts and crafts movement was a revival based on a reaction against that. And, uh, That's a great point, Mike. Yeah, so I think, I think what you're talking about is spot on. And this, these are these cycles we see in, in your yeah. You're really observing, I think, a trend that's um, yeah. accurate. So, so based on this arts and crafts movement, and you're seeing this, this resurgence, this uh, reaction against me, the digital life that we're all living, um, what do you think are the, what are the qualities or the experiences you think that people are wanting to get out of the craft experience? I'm not thinking so much of the producers right now, but the consumers of craft products. What are they looking for? So many consumers of uh, craft products, and, and we can talk especially about beer, uh, happen to be uh, younger people. Uh, that audience tends to be in their 20s and their 30s. Some of them happen to be young families. There's, uh, there's a lot of controversy. I shouldn't say a lot of controversy. There's some controversy in the beer industry about the fact that a lot of breweries now welcome kids to come hang out at the craft brewery and they've got games and, and, uh, I'm tonight. I'm going to CB's craft brewery in Honeyway Falls. That's my local craft brewery. They're going to have a band. They are release, releasing a beer called shark bites. So, you know, this is uh, shark week, which is a, yeah, a, a TV right. thing on whichever network it's on. I don't know, but people in America are talking about sharks this week. So CB's is, is introducing a shark beer made with blue gummy sharks. So it's made with blue gummy shark candy. There will be food. There will be live music. But I, the, the point I'm making is that my visit to that brewery tonight will not be because I want to uh, just because I want to have a couple of beers. I will. But it's much more of a place where I'm going to uh, relax. I'm going to be entertained. I'm going to have something to eat. I'm going to listen to some live music. I'm going to see my friends, I'm going to see my neighbors, and this brewery happens to be close enough that I can walk home. Oh, by the way, I can take my dogs as well. Hmm. So brewery experiences in 2019 are so much more than just beer. It's a place that we go, and we're part of our community. We're entertained. We're probably eating some food and it's, it's so much more than, um, you know, sampling one or two beers, grabbing something to go and walking out the door. It's a place of, of uh, community and camaraderie and friendship and family. And all the while we're supporting uh, s- small businesses, other small family-run businesses who are either at the event or who own the brewery. So it's... So I think that I think that is the scene that the craft beer consumer is after. I think also um, I think in general we can talk about branding in general. We all want to be a part of a tribe, right? So uh, today I was on the Flower City Beer Appreciation Association Facebook page, 
I was also on the uh, Adirondack Backcountry Hiking Facebook page. Those are both very separate Facebook communities. They align with things that I'm that I'm interested in, and things that I'm passionate about, and things that I believe in. And so I think beer consumers, or hiking consumers, or uh, fashionate consumers, they all want to be a part of something larger, and they want to be parts of communities. And through social media and Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and so on and so forth, now our communities, what used to be local communities, are global communities. So how cool is it that a beer consumer can join a Facebook page and talk to all the other, you know, um, beer people in, in greater Rochester and around the world for that matter? Right. That's what I think people are after uh, when they line them, when, when they support the craft beer industry. They're in it, not, again, not just for the beer, but they're in it to express themselves and to meet other people who care about what they care about. So it's so it's really so much larger than than uh, the product. And I think that's actually true for, um, you know, in any segment, in any market segment, I think that's what branding is all about. My guest today is Glenn Clark. He is the founder and owner of Crafting a Brand. And we're going to take a quick break here. But before we do, I want to let you know you can follow Glenn. In fact, if you want to follow Crafting a Brand, you can check out their Instagram account. Lots of great content that's uh, craft brewing and uh, beverage related. And some of their work is on there as well. Just go to at Crafting a Brand Co. So that's C-R-A-F-T-I-N-G, a brand C-O. And uh, you can follow them there. And uh, when we return, we'll talk to Glenn and get a little bit deeper into the craft brewing industry. So guys, hang on. We'll be right back. Folks, I hope you're enjoying today's interview. I have so much fun putting these podcast episodes together. It's such an honor to interview these folks, to learn from them, and to put this content out there. Look, if you like things that are marketing and branding related, if you want to become a better marketer, learn how to drive significant revenue through your marketing efforts to transform your brand into a real strategic asset, then I want to encourage you to go over to my website and sign up for my newsletter. The website is mikegaston.com. That's M-I-K-E-G-A-S-T-I-N. Com. Just scroll to the bottom of the page and there's a little sign up form right there. You'll never get any spam. I will never sell your information. But what I will do, I will send you an email once a week with the new content that I've created. I put out videos about branding and marketing. I write articles about branding and marketing. And as you know, I create this podcast. So sign up today, get in the system and learn more about branding and marketing. Become a better marketer. Guys, thank you so much. Let's get back to today's interview. And we're back. I'm your host, Mike Gaston. I'm joined by Glenn Clark, the owner, founder of Crafting a Brand. Glenn and his company are focused on serving the craft beverage industry. We're having a great conversation about uh, this industry, this vertical, and a little bit of Glenn's history. Glenn, welcome back to the show. I want to I kind of jump into specifically the craft industry 
you know, it, as I'm thinking about your comments about it, it really pays to be focused on a niche and to develop expertise and depth. What are some things that are unique to this industry from a marketing and branding perspective that don't necessarily cross over to others? So the craft beverage industry, and in, in, again, we could talk about beer because you know, beer is exploding right now. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a unique industry to work with in a number of ways. Uh, I'll start with the fact that so many of these producers are small businesses. When I say a small business, I mean a small craft brewery uh, might have uh, two or three employees. If you want to uh, be a brand consultant or uh, a design studio in the craft beer industry, uh, you're probably not in it because you want to become wealthy. Craft beer producers, uh, craft producers in general, tend to be very small and they don't have any budgets. They don't have any budgets. There's not a lot of money there, so, so they're need, not they're not funded by venture capital. They're not they don't have big backers. These are bootstrapped. They're not their passion projects. So if if you're in this industry, a you're in this industry industry as I am because I love it, and you need to be able to find ways to add value and help them on a shoestring. And so you're. Uh, so you think about your your largest breweries, right? Boston Beer Company, which just bought Dogfish Head Brewing Company. Um, your uh, North American Breweries, which owns Genesee Beer uh, here in Rochester. Your Constellation Branch, one of the largest beverage uh, companies in the world. That's way; those companies are way up at the top of the food chain uh, in their multi-million, billion-dollar companies. That's not where most branding firms are going to work or, or uh, be fortunate enough to work if, if they choose to work at that level. Um, I'm working with uh, small mom and pop businesses uh, throughout New York State and outside of New York State. And I've developed a system and I've developed a pricing and a business model so that I can create product for them. I can help them build a brand that will grow their business um, on a relatively small budget. So that's unique when you think about the fact that with Clark CSM, I was working with uh, higher ed. I was working with universities. I was working with healthcare organizations. I was working with banks, right? Those are much larger budgets. Uh, It's easier to get money to earn revenue from that. So when crafting a brand started, I shifted my business model and found a way to work and be profitable uh, with a whole lot less revenue coming in. And I'm fine with that. I find it challenging. You know, when I hear about higher ed healthcare banks, they often have people in places that are marketing savvy. They've got marketing training. They've done projects before. They know what branding looks like. They know what a good marketing funnel looks like. So when you come in there, it's a lot easier to kind of match up with them because they get what you're doing and and you can speak each other's language. I'm envisioning some of these smaller companies, the way you're describing them, they don't have a dedicated marketing person. They don't have somebody with marketing savvy. Uh, Is that challenging for you? And and if so, how do you uh, deal with it? uh, And most of them have never, ever done this before. 
uh, they've never worked with an agency or uh, yeah, uh, design studio. This this is new to them. They don't um, they don't know how it works. They've they've uh, they're going through it for the first time. So I try to position myself as someone who's going to guide them through the process. Uh, I invite them to collaborate with me. I believe that this process of branding uh, is the product of my expertise and their experience, right? We bring that together and we create a brand and then we execute that brand consistently over time. And then consumers come to recognize that instantly because you've created something, you've told a story it's true that the consumer believes they recognize that this is for real. This is what this brand and brewery or winery is all about. And because if you ex execute it consistently over time, it becomes recognizable instantly. You earn the trust of the consumer and now you're, you're up and running. Once you have the trust of a consumer, once they believe in you and you behave the same way consistently, over time, year after year, or visit after visit to a tasting room, you earn my trust. And then people fall in love with brands, and they're very devoted to them, and they're customers for life. So it's really about relationship building. It sounds like you're building a relationship with your clients, not just through account service, meaning, hey, I answer emails quickly, and I'm really courteous on the phone. But you're building a relationship in the way that you do the work. You're collaborating. You're getting involved. You're trust. It sounds like you're a trusted advisor. You're coming in saying, "Yeah, I'm going to help guide you through this." Yeah. Versus, I, hey, it's going to be fifteen grand, and here's my deliverable, right. and we'll meet again in three weeks. It's 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 uh right. It's it's a relationship thing. So my, um, I I believe that I have responsibility to understand your story as a brewery winery spirit cider understand where you came from what you believe in what you're going to sell what value you're going to add to the consumer and to your community and then bring that together create a brand strategy and then bring that brand strategy to life through packaging the website copywriting the sign on the outside of the building the experience when i walk into the tasting room Right? What color is it? What kind of music is playing? What are the what are the bartenders like? What are they wearing? Right? All of that is is you know those are all consumer touch points. All of it's those part of the things brand combined, yeah. right? They become the brand, right? Yeah. And you want to be. I help my clients to think deliberately about that stuff. As to as opposed to just letting it happen, sure. Right. So you want to think deliberate, and the decisions that you make are deliberate, as opposed to well, that's just where we ended up. What What do you think is one of the biggest challenges facing an independent, you know, brand new craft brewer? Someone that said, "Hey, I dumped a hundred thousand of my savings, or a couple hundred thousand. I don't know what it costs to set up a little shop. I'm I'm licensed. I'm producing. What's their biggest challenge? Is it is it distribution? Is it just word of mouth? Is it pricing? What well, would you say it is? These are interesting times in the in the beer industry, in the craft beer industry. Uh, I think the number one reason that uh, any business or specifically brewery might go out of business is because they're in debt. 
And so to your point, is that the debt to get started? Starting a brewery costs a lot of money. What, like if you were to take a guess, I mean, I know it could be all over the place, but give us an example. Uh, half a million dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And this is for something small. This isn't a Genesee brewery or a This a is Boston for a small brewery, brewery correct. <laughs> yeah. uh, so you're investing, you're maybe taking out, you may be getting financed or taking out loans from a bank, and you're opening a brewery of which... Guess what? In Monroe County, there are probably 30 other breweries that consumers can choose to go to. Sure. So you're opening a small business in a market that some might say is saturated. I don't think it is saturated. But some might, people say all the time, when is this going to burst? When is this bubble going to burst? You know, there are so many breweries. So you're opening a business, you've got debt, and if you don't... uh, You've got to create great beer, and you've got to draw you've got to draw customers. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things to keep in mind, and I'm sure folks know this, but these breweries are not just manufacturers. These aren't just breweries putting out cases. These are restaurants, tasting rooms. I mean, this this is a destination location, and that probably drives a lot of that expense because. If I just had to get some equipment to brew and bottle, that'd be one thing. But I have to yeah. entertain guests, provide a great experience, have a food menu, even if it's yeah. snacks, the ambiance, all that stuff. Yeah, so, so I think the uh, uh, recipe, recipe for success, if you will, for a small uh, brewery in, in 2019 is to uh, not have a lot of debt and to be satisfied with being small. And when I say being small, I mean serving your local community and selling all of your beer through your tap room, as opposed to uh, there's something called the three-tier distribution system. It's how we move alcohol in the United States. It's a highly regulated industry. If you are a brewery that grows to such a size that you can distribute, which means you want to sell beer, put beer on trucks and sell it in bottles, in cans, in kegs, uh, outside of your tasting room, which is called off-premise. So now you've taken the step, you've you've um, grown exponentially, or I should say you've increased your risk exponentially by choosing to grow your brewery and sell beer outside of your tap room. That's where it becomes very dangerous. The breweries that are in trouble right now are the larger, more established breweries who are selling beer off-premise. They're selling beer in Wegmans, and they're selling beer on tap around town. The breweries, the model that seems to be successful right now is very small, serving its local community, and selling all the beer through the tap handles on the walls. Wow. So you're choosing to – so you're choosing, you're being deliberate as a brewery owner – about staying small. So that, that, yeah, and that's, if you're an entrepreneurial brewery owner, you might not be happy with that. So I can see somebody, you know, look, I hate my engineering job. I love craft brewing. I'm sure this is a story happens a thousand times across the country. Wouldn't be great if me and my three buddies could open a brewery. And the next thing you know, they got a little brewery and uh, it either works or it doesn't work. I mean, but I know people get into it because they just want to do what they love. But I know there's a subset of people that say, I want to grow this into something. I want to be the next Sam Adams, Boston Brewing or whatever yeah. it is. So there's yeah, a, that, 
treacherous phase there, that transfer from being just, because I don't think a little local brewery, you could probably make a good living, but you're not going to get rich doing that. Yeah, that ship has sailed in terms of you being the next Sam Adams. Um, those days are over when, when Sam, Boston Beer Company or Sam Adams started uh, late 80s, early 90s. There were um, less than 100 uh, breweries. Craft brewing was brand new in the United States. Right. Today, right. there are over 8,000 breweries. Uh, there is no simple path that says you start uh, at point A and uh, eight years from now, you sell out to AB InBev or Budweiser, right? Mm, that, that, right. that, that you, you don't, you don't build a business plan in which that happens. And this is why there isn't that kind of, uh, this is why you're not seeing venture capital, private equity funding these things at this level, because there's not a clear path as you're saying. So what, where you see venture capital activity right now some of these larger regional breweries that are distributing and struggling are, in some cases, being bought up. So now there are, uh, there are breweries coming together. There are breweries that are working under an umbrella, like I said, uh, Boston Beer uh, and, and Dogfish Head combined just recently. So they became one, although their brands will remain separate. But you do see some activity now where... Uh, the only way for some of these larger breweries to stay alive is to partner with somebody else or become uh, get bought out, so to speak, by by big beer or by a venture capital group. Sure. So and there's this this new there's this new category of of brewery that didn't really exist ten years ago, uh, and more and more you see through consolidation and you know, strategic decisions to partner, you're seeing this this new um, collaborative model gotcha. coming into play. And I think, you know, to be fair, I'm kind of talking about how does someone grow in the venture, but the whole concept behind craft brewing is not to become huge. It's it's small batch, it's community, it's relationships. Like you're talking before, there I can go. bring my dogs. Yeah. And, and, you know, certain larger corporations, like I think Wegmans, uh, we talked about them, they've done a good job of having a sense of community. Oh, I've got a Wegmans in my town. It's down the street, but you're not bringing your dogs and hanging out, listening to music. You love shopping there, but it's still a big entity all over with a big footprint. As soon as you take one of these places and multiply it and spread it and it becomes a corporate, you know, franchise yeah. thing, yeah. it loses its magic, doesn't it? It's so, the opposite of what people went there for in the first place. And, and then, right. then you've got, then you're out of integrity with your brand. So I, I guess right. I've, uh, we've come full circle. You've helped me answer the question. <laughs> it's all about branding, Glenn. Yeah, yeah. Now we can let's talk about just for a minute about other half brewing company. Uh, other half brewing is uh, eight year old brewery, uh, I think eight years old, uh, out of Brooklyn. Uh, very small brewery. Uh, sell their they they sell their beer on premise only in Brooklyn. Uh, about a year ago in 2018, we got the news that they purchased uh, an empty brewery here in the Finger Lakes region, uh, about 15 minutes from my office, which I love. Uh, it was the Nedlow Brewery. Oh, sure. Bloomfield, yeah, New York. I know Nedlow, yep. So Nedlow shut down, went out of business. Other half from Brooklyn opened a second brewery in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. So you've got this ultra, ultra, very urban brewery in Brooklyn, New York, 
suddenly selling beer in a pastoral farm pasture in Bloomfield, New York. So interesting because brand-wise, you've got now you've got the city and you've got the country, both other half is operating in both markets, if you will. But interesting in that uh, they took their on-premise model, right? We only sell beer. We go direct to the consumer. There is no middleman. There is no distributor. And they said, you know what? We want to serve more people. Instead of signing a contract with a distributor and getting into Wegmans and getting into distribution and to have people drive our beer around, we're going to open a second location in near Rochester, New York, where we know people love our product, and we're going to sell beer direct to consumer in Rochester. That's really smart. So you that's, know, that's a new way of, that's a, again, that's a new twist on the business model of, you know, how do I get my product, how do I get my beer into people's hands? It's neat, too, because it's far enough away from Brooklyn that it's not going to um, devalue the Brooklyn location. It's not like, well, I'm in Queens, I'm in Brooklyn, I'm on Long Island, I can Manhattan, I've got a bunch. It's like I can stop at a Ruby Tuesdays anywhere I want to. It's still special. But, you know, a six-hour six drive away, I can jump into another one in the Rochester Finger Lakes region. That's really smart. Yeah. And now, now, now Rochester has become known or will become known as a beer tourist, a beer tourism destination. So now Rochester is on the map, if you will, uh, thanks in part to other half, but not just because of other half. Rochester is known as a small market that has incredible beer. And so now you'll have people travel here because they want to they want to visit these breweries. That they well, and you've got the wine, too. So if it's a husband and, and wife or a, a handful right. of couples, it's like, look, there's something for everybody. You've got... The Finger Lakes, you can go water skiing and sunbathing and sailing. You can do beer. You can do wine. There's fantastic food. Um, It really is a special thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Glenn, what what do you – I'll just ask a couple of questions as we're getting close to a close here. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing this industry that you're in now? Uh, And then I'd like to know, like, what, what was the biggest surprise for you once you dove in all the way uh, and started working with these folks. What was the biggest surprise? What was the biggest challenge? What do you think the biggest challenge is facing the industry? Uh, uh, I don't know. From a branding point of view, I think it's a challenge for these brewers to differentiate themselves and to create unique brands. Uh, if you spend any time looking at, at, if you Google, you know, beer label design, um, you'll see there's a movement. Uh, I'll call it a movement. There's a style of beer label design happening right now. It's uh, it's almost like art on on a can of beer. It's almost sure. like art on an aluminum can. These beautiful labels um, with a tiny logo or maybe no logo at all, and that's prevalent in the industry right now. And I think that's challenging because these beers, some of these beers, are all starting to look the same. And they're going out of their way to hide their logo. And so if you think about a Budweiser can, right, the, the, the biggest thing you see on, on that can is the Budweiser logo. In craft beer, there's a, um, a style, a design style happening in which brewer, breweries are saying, 
hey, one way to let people know that we're really good beer is to create one of these really slick, minimalist designs, which are beautiful and they're awesome to look at. But guess what? Half the st- If I scroll through my Instagram feed, half the time I can't tell whose beer it is, yeah. right? Because it's not branded, which is kind of cool. But ultimately, the the brewers that succeed will will be those that create uh, brands that people remember and brands that people can identify as soon as they see it. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that's a large part of the success of a brewery is, is getting people to come back and getting people to keep buying. So first and foremost, number one, it's always about the beer. If you don't have good beer, you're not going to win. But let's say you've got fantastic beer. Well, now you and 75 percent of the other other breweries also have fantastic beer. Table so you're still not going to win. You're still yeah. not going to win. So how are you going to win? You're going to you're going to create a brand that people recognize, in love, they talk about, they share, they return to it. So I think that's the biggest challenging in there as the challenge as there are more and more competitors. Um, it is going to be a challenge to truly differentiate yourself and build something that will last and build something that you can expand upon uh, that people will recognize and remember and support. And this is probably the importance of someone like yourself, because I, I, you can hire a designer to do something beautiful. And some designers are very strategic and they, you know, like a really good experienced designer knows how to make sure they're getting the brand recognition, the marketing stroke that you need from work and the beauty. But this is where I think bringing the right person in, because you can make something beautiful, you can make something taste great, but it takes kind of a, a really unique professional like yourself. I'm not in this in this vertical but I know for other clients and other verticals, I do similarly. It's like, okay, let's make something that's beautiful and takes people's breath away, but at the same time builds the brand recognition yeah, and, I mean, and gets those hooks in. Yeah, I think there's something to be said for thinking about it, your brand as a whole. And that incorporates your product, your beer, your packaging, your messaging, your website, your Instagram feed, the exterior of your building. Right. All of that needs to be deliberate and thought about and planned out, especially as you grow and especially as people, you know, what if you become the next hot new brewery? Right. There are a couple here in town right now. Right. It's it's awesome to be a hot brewery for a time. But how are you going to sustain that? Right. And are you creating something that, um, you know, when the when the next hot brewery opens 10 miles down the road? Right, and you're second in line now instead of first in line. Have you created something? Have you built a brand that can sustain that and that can thrive? So, Glenn, what what did you find most surprising? You you shut down your former agency. You're focused solely on this industry. I understand you you're still servicing some clients, uh, but but from the old from the old agency. But you're all in. You're baptized in in the craft brewing industry, and a true believer. What did you find surprising once you were on the inside working? Uh, you know, I'll tell you, I, I won't, I won't frame this as a surprise, but I knew that one of my biggest challenges would be to um, earn the trust of the people I work with. And I, I don't just mean the clients, but uh, as with any industry, um, you, um, 
there's a network of people that know and trust one another because they've they've worked together. Um, there's a there's there's a trust that needs to be built uh, that I am a year and a half into that is something that I work on every single day and will need to continue to work on uh, to gain visibility, uh, to earn new clients so that I've got case studies. Um, if you've got, when I first started, for instance, I had uh, maybe a few case studies or a few beverage clients to talk about, right? And if you're trying to get a new client, you want to show them that your work that you've done when I first started, I had very few, right? Now I've got a lot. So it's easier to earn trust when you can say, look who else I've worked with. But that's a year and a half later. That's a lot of hard work. Sure. That's a lot of introductions. That's a lot of relationship building uh, that needed to happen and, and uh, continues to, to happen. That's something that I focus on every single day is... Um, you know, gaining visibility and trust inside of the industry. Hey, my guest today has been Glenn Clark. He is the founder, president, and genius behind crafting a brand. Glenn, thanks so much for joining me today. This has been a fascinating conversation. Mike, it was my pleasure, and I'm, I'm so honored that you, uh, you asked me to be on your podcast. Thank you very much. Well, it's, it's been a real pleasure. Folks, make sure to check out Glenn's company. As I mentioned before, you can follow uh, Crafting a Brand on Instagram. Just look for at crafting a brand co that's c-r-a-f-t-i-n-g-a brand c-o you can also check out glenn's website if you want to see more work that they've done there just go to craftingabrandco.com there's also a contact form there if you want to get in touch and i will throw out there i'm a subscriber glenn's got two emails that he sends out once a week they're very simple but they're really packed with great uh, information i think one is focused on the br- the uh, craft brewing industry and one is also just more for general branding. He provides some links, some great insights. Glenn, where can people sign up for that? Uh, those emails. Thank you, Mike. Uh, three things every Thursday.com. Uh, so and that's every, spelled out T H R E E. That's right. That's right. Okay. So every Thursday morning at 9 a.m., I publish a newsletter with three cool items or interesting items about branding technology marketing, tourism. Uh, at, at six o'clock every Thursday night, I publish the evening edition and that's three pieces of news or information about the beverage industry. Yeah, it's a fantastic email. I, I, there's not a lot of emails. I get a lot of emails. There's not many that I'm happy to get. There's a couple that I subscribe to, and Glenn, yours is one. They're always oh, well-thought-out links. They're always interesting. So, Thank you. folks, if you like to learn and, and have your imagination opened up a little bit, I highly recommend it. Uh, check out 3thingseverythursday.com. Is that correct? That's right. All right, folks, Glenn Clark. Glenn, thanks again. And folks, if you haven't already, do me a favor, follow me as well. You can catch me on Twitter, just look for at Mike Gaston. Catch me on LinkedIn. In fact, if you want to uh, connect there, just shoot me an invite. Just say you've heard me on the show. It'd be my honor. As you all know, I love you very much, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. 